This Marketplace podcast is supported by Invest Puerto Rico. Build the future in paradise. Puerto Rico, a hub for innovators brimming with world-class talent and a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem. Learn more at investpr.org backslash marketplace today. Test one, two, test one, two. Okay, I am rolling. Jay, let's go. Hey everybody, I'm Kyra. <laughs> no, I really am Kyra. Sorry, that was a little brain fart. I don't know what happened there. We're just gonna leave that. Anyway, Make Me Smart is a podcast. 21 June is the date. Please help me. Yes, and I know that I'm Kimberly Adams, and I thank all oh of you Lord. for joining us on this Wednesday. We are going to shake things up a little bit on the show, and we're testing out some new segments. So we aren't going to do listener questions today. But if you have an idea for something you'd like to hear on the show, a new segment, a new game, a new idea, uh, let us know. We'd love to hear your ideas. We're at 508-UB-SMART or email us at makemesmart at marketplace.org. So instead of questions, I mean, uh, yeah, instead of questions, we're doing news and smiles. I'm sorry, I'm all discombobulated today. I don't know what's going on. Uh, no questions, it's news and smiles. It's because we shook up the for- format. That's why. I know, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, yes, anyway, let's reason. do some news first. You you get to go first. Go ahead. Okay. Two stories about the media, actually, even though they're ostensibly about the news, they're really about the media and how the media covers different stories. So I, like many others, have been very fascinated by this story of the submarine that is still at the moment mm. of this recording missing at the bottom of the ocean, probably, apparently. We don't really know. Um, there's a piece in the New Republic, though, that gets at something I, that was sort of kicking around in the back of my brain, which the headline says it all. The media cares more about the Titanic sub than drowned migrants, because not very long ago, we had one of the most deadly, um, you know, incidences of a migrant boat sinking. Um, it was on June 14th. They think it's the second deadliest refugee mm-hmm. refugee and migrant shipwreck on record. More than 800 migrants were on the boat when it sank off the Greek coast. And if you think about the number of ships and resources that are being scrambled to find this submarine with, what, five extraordinarily wealthy mm-hmm. people on it, And the fact that we know um, that a lot of ships in the area, including Greek authorities, knew this boat carrying all these migrants was out there and didn't go to its aid. And, you know, yes, the Titanic story is new and it's a mystery. There's this time element of sort of counting down the hours and it's definitely a tragic situation but it's worth noting like what we pay attention to and what we don't because you have some of the wealthiest people in trouble and the resources being organized to go and save them and then some of the poorest and most desperate people um also in dire straits still trying to get to Europe because of often economic conditions that is a story that's been ongoing and a lot of people, including most of us in the media, have kind of moved on from. So it's a really mm-hmm. interesting piece and um, it's just something I I was thinking about and I was glad to see somebody write it up. <sighs> yeah. So. We'll, uh, we'll get another show page. It's a good piece. Yeah. The other story is about this Hunter Biden... <laughs> 
neither one of us can speak today. Hunter mm. Biden uh, deal, plea deal with the Department of Justice. And I'm not going to get into the nuances of this case. The Politico article that we have in the show notes talks about the case. But really what it talks about is how whether or not Hunter Biden got off easy pretty much completely depends on your politi- political orientation. Because they found IRS experts and DOJ experts um, on both sides who said that he got off too easy. Some said it was harsher because of all the scrutiny. But the larger issue here is the fact that the Department of Justice can barely do its job without it being politicized anymore. And I can't imagine how hard it is to try to do your job at the Department of Justice right now, be impartial, knowing that no matter what you do, there's going to be a big chunk of the country saying that you're playing favorites or that you're being harsher on someone. And of course, that all, you know, also relates to how our tax dollars are being spent. So there's mm-hmm. that. That's yeah, what it's, what do you it's, it's, it's actually a, a terrible thing that it's all being so badly politicized and that you cannot talk reason mm-hmm. into the people who are politicizing it. But anyway, uh, so mine is sort of a connect the dots piece and it, uh, it's all about, uh, the real estate market and interest rates and the fed and why real estate in this country is not going to be a solvable problem for a while to come yet. New data out from Redfin, which is uh, the online real estate brokerage firm, um, which says the number of uh, homes for sale in the United States fell to record low levels in May. And here is why that is happening. Not only do we not have enough housing stock to begin with in this country, full stop, forget affordable housing or otherwise, although I think it was Elizabeth Troval who did a piece for us yesterday on on Marketplace. Uh, No, it was Sam. Who, Sam Fields, who did a story about how most of the housing stock that's being built, the new housing construction in this economy, is higher end mm. stuff. And so that's not what of we course. need. We need we need more affordable stuff. But anyway, part of the reason that the number of homes for sale in the economy is so low and falling to lower levels is that nobody who currently has a home at a mortgage rate of something below, let's say, 3%, which is where they were 14 months ago. Or even below going to. Or, or yeah, right? I mean, mine's, we timed our refi really well. So we're not moving until I'm, you have to carry me out of here cold and dead because, mm-hmm. oh my Lord. But, but anyway, nobody who owns a house is going to move and trade a 3% mortgage rate for a 7% mortgage rate. So all these existing homes that people are in and homeowners have, and maybe they want to downsize, but they can't afford the bump in the monthly nut from 3 to 7%. That's why housing in this economy is going to stay really tight for a very long time and prices will stay elevated because existing homeowners do not want to and in some cases cannot afford to move. And that's just a little connected dots thing when you see some data floating around out there. That's what's going on. That's the why. And I mean, layered on top of that is something that we're seeing all over the country in which people have been telling me about here where I am right now in in Chincoteague, Virginia, which is all of the housing that's been converted to short-term rentals. Now, granted, this is a tourist town, so there's more of an incentive for it, but Mm -hmm. there are so many people here who are trying to live here, work here, or even buy a home, and they can't because of A, all the short-term rentals, but also B... All of the people from D.C. and New York who moved here now that they can work remotely, who can pay way more for houses than people in the community ever could. So what might have been 
you know, a home for a young couple at a reasonable price, you know, five years ago is now being sold for, you know, twice the price to somebody from New York who still thinks it's a steal. And that that doesn't help either. No, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Jay, let us uh, let us move on here, shall we? All right, go ahead. Let's do yours first. (laughs) All right, let's 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 do mine first. So, um, uh, so let's see. If you listen to the Friday episode when we were in Seattle, which even though it seems like a very long time ago, can't possibly have been last Friday. It was two Fridays ago. Um, uh, what my make me smile was about Jay Powell, who had been photographed at a Dead and Company concert. Dead and Company is the successor organization to um organization successor band group whatever to uh, the Grateful Dead. Um, anyway. So Jay Powell is a deadhead. Amazingly enough, nobody at the Federal Reserve's uh, press conference last Wednesday asked the chairman about it. But today, Jay Powell (laughs) was on Capitol Hill giving uh, testimony to the House Financial Services Committee. And Wiley Nickel from uh, Great State of North Carolina (laughs) asked him the question. Doing the people's work. (laughs) How was the show? Did you like it? It was terrific. What can I say? (laughs) It was great. I've, I've been a Grateful Dead fan for 50 years, so. Jay Powell, deadhead. Jay Powell also, I know, right? Jay Powell also uh, is in a band uh, at the Fed. He, uh, I believe, is the guitarist for that band. So, uh, you know, the musical stylings of uh, of Jay Powell. It's so funny when you see people who exist in one part of your brain as one thing, as something totally Totally. different. It always sort of, you know, is fun, you know, like... Totally. The mermaid thing, I, I think it. one of the reasons that people were so fascinated by it was like, because I'm usually covering Washington and politics and economics, and then there's mermaid. <laughs> yep, exactly. Anyway, what do you got? Uh, okay. Um, so mine is the wonderful video that announced the U.S. women's national team uh, for the World Cup coming up. Uh, the announcement video of who was going to be on the roster is so much fun and so cool and you should go and watch it they've basically got a bunch of celebrities and other like famous people announcing each individual person um like lil wayne i think is in there taylor swift uh people from tv shows rain wilson um gabrielle union and lots of other very famous people whose names i forget anyway announcing the roster of each of the individual players so it's super fun Yes. And another thing, um, and and hat tip to Rick Carr for pointing that out to me because I was running around all day and he was telling me about it. Um, In in NDC, one of the listeners actually sent me this. They have passed an emergency law to keep the bars open 24-7 so people can watch the World Cup, the Women's World Cup. Yep. So that's going to be fun also. Are they doing that in LA? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know. But it's, I think it's so super cool that, that D.C. is doing it. Women's World Cup, by the yeah. way, July uh, down in, in uh, Australia and New Zealand. So there's a big time zone difference, uh, which yeah, is why they yeah, have to yeah. do that. But yeah, it's cool. It's very cool. And then to end it with a dose of the economy, this is a different situation than the last World Cup. Because mm-hmm. this time around, the women players are actually being paid somewhat fairly for their yeah. work. So remember... The women's team sued basically FIFA for mm-hmm. or the U.S. soccer. U.S. soccer is yeah. who they sued. Yeah. 
yeah, they sued U.S. soccer for, you know, gender discrimination and pay because they kept winning and they were making so much less money than the guys who were losing. And so now um, the two teams, U.S. soccer, I'm reading here from a piece in The Athletic, the two teams, U.S. soccer and the two teams union agreed to a deal in 2022 that achieves equal pay through identical economic terms. The women and men will pool and split the team's prize totals from the 2022 and 2023 World Cups. So what the guys won and what the women won. And although I should say that in some cases, the there are players from other countries that are now sitting out the World Cup because they are fighting mm. the same fight in their home countries mm-hmm. for equal pay for the women's players. So the fight goes on globally, but I imagine they take a lot of hope from what the American women did. So all Absolutely. of those things make me smile. Huge win. Yeah. Huge, huge win. All right, that is it for us today. Back tomorrow, uh, we're, we're mixing things up, so who knows what's actually going to be on tomorrow. But we're still taking questions, <laughs> so keep sending them. Uh, we're at 508-UB-SMART, or write to us, smart at marketplace.org. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Ellen Rolfus writes our newsletter. Today's program was engineered by Jay Sue Siebold. And welcome again to our new intern, Nilu Shabandi. Ben Talladay and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music that you are listening to now. Our senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcast. And Francesca, God, Kai, Francesca Levy is the executive director. Get me out of here. <laughs> Tough day for me. Speaking my native tongue into a microphone. My lord. <laughs>